0: Lord, we want to worship you in words and in deeds, but most importantly, in being. May our whole being worship you from the very depth of our heart. May we just recognize, first of all, Lord, that without you, we do not have it together at all. Your name is great. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. You're slow to anger. That's who you are. That's the truth. Help us be like you today. Lord. Yes, Lord, you said that, or we sang in that song that you, our sins were great, but your mercy was greater. And Lord... I don't often reflect that to others, um, that when I'm sinned against, when I'm offended or angered, and, and Lord, um, oftentimes that's when I want justice, not mercy. And Lord, as we, we learn from your word this morning, I pray that these, hearts, or these words would settle in our hearts. This wouldn't be a message that, that we agree with and we nod our head, but then we walk away from here the same person, So, Jesus, I pray that through your spirit, that you would work in the hearts and the minds of everyone, including myself, that we would walk away from here changed, more like you, not just in the way that we think, and the way that we believe, but in the way that we live. In your name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here. This morning, if you've never met me before, my name is Joe, and I get to lead our high school and young adult ministry. And this is the second message that I've given about anger. So I don't know, like, what my wife is telling the senior leadership team, but apparently I haven't figured it out yet. So I'm still wrestling through that. And uh, I want to tell you two stories this morning that that I'm gonna like kind of put my anger on display here. And here's the first one. So my wife and I, we were in her car; she was driving. And we were driving over by Dave's Food Mart, that intersection right there with Norwood and Whittlesey and Benedict. And it's just a bad intersection, right? Well, when she had stopped, she the front of her car kind of pulled up into the crosswalk. And there were some people waiting to cross there. And so they couldn't use the crosswalk because she was pulled into it. And so they had to walk around the, the, behind her car or whatever. And uh, as they get to the other side, one of the gentlemen uh, had some a pretty vulgar adjectives and nouns that he described my wife and her ability to drive with. So I did what any self-respecting, mature Christian husband would do. I got out of the car to fight him. (laughs) True story. This wasn't like in my 20s. This was a few years ago. Like, I worked here, okay? Uh, And I was just like, it just, boom, I was ready to rock. Like, this guy, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to throw hands right here on the corner of Whittlesea and Norwood and, and... and, and, like, as soon as I get out of the car, the guy freaked out because I don't think he expected me to get out of the car. And, like, not like I'm super intimidating, but, but I was like, what would you say? He's like, nothing. I'm like, that's what I thought you said, you know. And, and I told him to shut up. So I get back in the car, waiting for my wife to applaud me for defending her honor. And she's like, you are such an idiot. <laughs> I thought that was my wife clapping. It was not. I was like, "What are you talking about?" She's like, "Joe, you are the student pastor at the chapel. Imagine that headline in the paper: Student Pastor Arrested Again for Fighting Again in Public." And so we drive. You know, we had to go to Walmart. It was where we went in the first place. And she's just like telling me, "Like that was so dumb. You have so much on the line." Like that's not worth it, it's just words. Like, why would you get out to, you know, to fight this guy? And I was like, you know what, you're right. And I felt, I felt terrible, you know, God had convicted me about what I had done. And so I felt so bad. We actually drove back to see if we could find them so I could apologize. So if you're here this morning, because <laughs> I never found them, and you are that young man who I was ready to fight, or if you know him, if you're here, please come up to the front of the room afterwards or go outside, and handle this like men. No, I'm serious. I want, I want to apologize for what I did. So please, if you seriously, if you know this is like four, five, six years ago or whatever, but like I felt stupid, okay? So I think that was anger over something, you know, righteous, <laughs> righteous anger taken out in a wrong way. Second time I want to tell you, second story I want to tell you, we're at Walmart. I don't know all my anger focuses around Walmart. So we're at Walmart. I had to go get the groceries, that's one of my roles. And um, it was late at night and Marlena wanted to go with me and we had Mac, he was younger, he was like two or three and it was late, so he was tired. I was like, just let me go by myself you know, I don't want to bring Max. She's like, no, I want to go together. And I was like, okay, so we go. And of course, he's like a holy terror the whole time. He's crying and whining. And, you know, it's Christmas time, so they're very busy. I just want to get my groceries and get out. And I'm so frustrated. It took us forever. We finally get the groceries. We take them up to the cash register because I'm not doing self checkout because there's too much stuff. And I put them on the treadmill, you know, to ring it out or whatever. And the person in front of me, after they pay, the register crashes. And it's not like, hey, just give us a minute. we got to reboot this thing. They're like, so sorry, we have to close this register. You're going to have to go to a different one. I'm like, my stuff's on the belt. They're like, here, I have to put it in your cart and go to the other register. And I was like, fantastic. I am so glad this is happening. So we take all the groceries back off the belt, put them in the cart, go to the next register. And this next register of the cashier... He was very, like, in the holiday spirit. He was wearing, like, an elf hat. Um, He was super glad to be there. And um, he, I think it was, like, his first or second day because he wasn't real fast. And uh, he, here's the problem. He was very friendly, and he was, like, commenting on every single thing the people in front of us bought. Like, oh, I love these. These are great. Your kids are good. And I'm just, like hurry up. Okay. And, and at that point I am just so mad. Like I'm fuming. Okay. Like I'm furious because it's late and I'm tired. I want to go home. And my wife who had the future foresight to realize that this was going to be a sermon illustration someday took a picture of me standing there. (laughs) I didn't even know she took the picture. Yeah, I was so mad. And I had to crop out the cashier because I didn't want to put his face up there, but he's wearing an elf hat. Like, it's a hilarious situation, okay? I tell you these stories to, to help you understand, like, this is, anger is something I'm very acquainted with, okay? I have an issue with it. And now, sometimes my anger, sometimes I get angry because of what's being done to someone else. Like, when that, Guy said stuff to my wife. Most of the time, though, it's about because of what's being done to me, like that situation at Walmart, because it's like now this stupid, you know, computer and this guy, they're infringing on my time, my comfort, you know, I want to get home, and it's all about me, 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 right? Now, I am, I think I'm safe to say that I'm not the only one. Okay, this past year, wow, if you've been on social media or looked at the news at any length of time, you're going to see that people get angry and offended and or offended at just about anything, right? And what's interesting to me is not how we get a is not why that we get offended, but it's how we react to those offenses, how we respond. Now, obviously I have some work to do here, but I've also seen these things happen within my circle. You know, people I I actually know here's some things that happen. People give up on relationships that have been established for decades because they're angered or offended. Uh, people text message or instant message or post things on social media, they would never say to someone face-to-face. People up and leave jobs, schools, and churches because of a decision or whatever it is without ever listening to the other side, ever listening for an explanation. You know, there's I've seen so much anger that's toxic and, and hurtful and, and it's unhealthy and harmful. Well, right before... COVID broke out in 2020, I read one of the most convicting books I've ever read in my life. <coughs> Excuse me. The book is called Unoffendable by Brent Hansen, And there was a quote on the second page that I totally disagreed with. It said this, that you can choose to be unoffendable. Not only can we choose to be unoffendable, but we should choose that. And I was like, this is baloney, right? Like you can't choose to not be angry, not be unoffendable. But as I read it, I realized that this was a biblical argument for living an unoffendable life and that we should live it. And so we're going to spend this week and next week talking about this and what this looks like and how we can do that. Now, the author, Brant Hansen, he also has a radio show. He's not the first person to come up with this idea of being unoffendable. He borrows some ideas from somebody way smarter. All right. He, He talks about, well, the Apostle Paul. And, so we're going we're gonna to read some of what Apostle Paul wrote. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible or you want to use the Bible app, um, feel free to do that. We're going to be in Ephesians 4. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. But Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus um, to remind them that because they follow Jesus now, their outward, their outward actions should line up with their inward beliefs, what they believe, their relationship with Jesus, all right? And we're gonna see that this happens primarily in relationship with others. And Paul tells them and also us that we should remove lust. As followers of Jesus, we should remove lust, deception, stealing, foul and abusive language from our lives now that we are living for Christ and not ourselves. And right there in with those things, with those examples is this too. He says, and don't, sorry, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives foothold to the devil. So what's Paul saying here? Well, he says, don't be controlled by anger. What does that look like? Well, in that situation, with, when, with, in the car that, you know, when I got out, I was not under control. My anger took the wheel, all right? I felt like I had no control over the situation, like, I felt like my emotions were driving me, all right? So being controlled by anger is letting, the, letting anger, instead of, instead of the Holy Spirit, control your life, control your thoughts, control your words, control your actions, right? So have you ever been controlled by anger before? I want you to think of the last time somebody made you angry or offended you and it caused you to become Upset and cause you to react. Maybe it was on your way here this morning, so you don't even have to think back that far, right? If you're not sure, let me give you a few things that may help you to remember. You read something on social media about masks, the COVID vaccine, or Governor DeWine's update that leads you to post something angry in return, right? Why are y'all just quit pointing at each other, okay? I've seen this happen, right? Maybe this is you, all right? You see something, you don't really, maybe you don't even understand the whole story. You don't even know if it's true, and you just start ranting. Or someone cuts you off in traffic and then has the audacity to not speed up. This causes you to hit the gas and tailgate them. Here's something that I struggle with. I feel like whenever I have to give a message about a personal issue that I'm facing, that week leading up to it, it's just like I have to deal with it all the time. I think two, maybe three times this week, somebody pulled out, in front of me, and then they just wanted to see how fast their car could go in first gear. like. And I'm, I'm so immature, I'm just like, I'm tailgating them so close I can see what radio station they're listening to. Like, as if that's going to make them go any slower, okay? Um, so I'm, I'm like doing that, you know, and it's just like, it's so frustrating because I'm like, I'm like, how dare you make me eight seconds late for whatever I have to go to? It's It's stupid. And if I've ever done that to you, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. We're about grace here. Um, I'm sorry. Maybe you have a hard time with the political climate of today, so it leads you to cut people out of your life that don't think or vote or believe the same that you do. All right? You just cut them out. Um, Maybe this, uh, your mother-in-law, right? Now, I said your mother-in-law, not my mother-in-law, because she's a saint, all right? You're, you know what? Let's just move on. I don't want to deal with that one. Okay. Your spouse makes an offhanded comment to you, and it causes you to erupt, and, and chaos happens. This has been the climate at my house, like, over the past few weeks, you know? I'll be like, hey, I'm mad at, to my wife. I'm like, oh, I'm mad at you. And she's like, again or still? like, <laughs> you're always mad, so... Maybe you deal with, with stuff like this by, um, you might deal with it different ways. Maybe you, like, totally cut that person out, like even the silent treatment. Like, if you offend me, make me angry, I cannot talk to you for a long time, right? Because then it gives me control. My anger is controlling my emotions. Now I'm going to take it out on you by not talking to you, and I feel like I'm punishing you. Maybe you do this. And I want you, you know, whatever it is, I want you to be honest and ask yourself a question that I struggle with. When it comes to being offended or getting angry, right here, why is this, why am I always the victim? Think about it. When you and your friend get into a fight, right, you're the one who's the victim, and they're the one who was wrong, right, every single time. Uh, when it comes to your boss, you know, you feel like they, he's always out to get you. It's just you. He loves everybody else, but he's always out to get you. There's some young people in here, right, some, some students, some kids. So you think your parents, like, have these stupid rules that you hate, right, and you don't like, I don't know why they give this, and you're just like, my parents don't like me. They don't want me to have any fun or anything. It's without considering, just for a moment, that maybe they love you and they know some things and they want what's best for you, right? I know in my life, like if somebody says something to me that's truthful but hard to handle, what do I do? Oh, you're, you're, you're overreacting. You don't understand. Uh, I justify myself or I blame it on something or someone else, right? So we always see ourselves as the victim. But the book of Proverbs gives us a clear picture for this. It says, "...the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins." what's this saying here? It's saying like, have you ever had somebody tell you a story about how, you know, somebody did something to them and you listen to it they're like, I can't believe that happened to you. That's crazy. That person is awful. Then you hear the other person's side of the story and you're like, hold on. Like, this was not what they said, right? There's always two sides of the story. So a lot of times we're the victim. And what happens is when we become the victim, we don't really try to understand what that other person is, what it's like to be that other person. So in the courtroom of our lives, we're quick to bring evidence against why it's always the other person's fault, while at the same time trying to prove our own innocence, right? Because why? We see our lives through a me-centered perspective, and so that leads us to embrace this victim mentality. And that leads us into sin, because the Apostle Paul says this, don't sin by letting anger control you. It's not the the emotion of being angry. It's not that you're angry. It's what it does to you. Do you let it control you? You know, there's two forms of anger, righteous and unrighteous anger. Righteous anger is anger by God. It's the anger that God possesses, and it's leveled at sin. His anger is always just, always selfless. Um, His emotions are perfectly under control. We, however, do not have that same caliber of character unrighteous anger is the anger that we possess, and it's often leveled at, pe- at persons or places or things or situations that infringe on us and make us the, ve- the victim because, because of our pride and selfishness. And as a result, our response is controlled by our angered emotions. You can always tell when this is happening because anger gets in the driver's seat, right? You feel like you can't stop yelling. You feel like, you know, you you can't not do what you're doing. Now, Paul says when that happens, when that happens, we are sinning. And you might be sitting there thinking, you know, and I'm gonna talk to guys because maybe, I feel like guys, we just, anger is an easy emotion for us, whether we're embarrassed or slighted against or whatever it is, we tend to just react in anger and you're trying, and maybe you're sitting there, you'd be like, okay, so this guy's telling me that like, I, like, my, I just gotta stop, like stuff my anger down, not let it do what it's gonna do. Like, you can't do that, right? Because you might be saying like, Because in that moment when my wife got, you know, cussed at and I got out of the car, I felt like I was not in control. But I'll tell you this, if there had been a cop right there, you know what I've done? I'd have stayed in the car, right? I can control my anger. I just chose not to. So Paul says when that happens, we're sinning. Now sin isn't making a mistake like I said. It's it's not accidentally going the wrong way down a one-way street. Sin is when we willingly choose to call the shots, to go against God's word and to choose to be the god of our own lives. Sin is when we're saying like, "Okay, God, I know your word says don't let you, don't sin by by or don't sin by letting anger control you, but in this situation I'm going to do that." So we tell the the risen savior the Lord and God, how we're going to run our lives, right? And we may not see it in the moment, but this always has negative consequences for our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and it has negative consequences for ourselves. Well, later in Ephesians 4.31, Paul lays out the sinful behavior when anger happens by saying this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Now, Those are some words that are associated. Those are some of the products of our anger, right? Bitterness, a resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled, right? You just walk around carrying that anger, carrying that offense with you. Rage, an outburst of passion. When somebody does or says something and you just react, Harsh words, it's the the loud assertion of the angry person who will make everyone hear their grievance. Something you don't like, something offends you, something angers you. You're going to let everybody in your circle and on Facebook know what happened. Or slander, speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs, and so defaming and even destroying their reputation. Now, for many of us, we know all too well the personal devastation that happens when we act out in this way you know, it can literally ruin our relationships. And whether we recognize it or not, it's destroying us too. And that's why Paul is saying to get rid of all of these things. And not just someday. To do it with a sense of urgency. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives the... Foothold to don't. don't let the sun go down when you're angry. I used to think that this meant, okay, well, you got to stay up and fight then until you get this thing figured out. No, Paul's using some figurative language to, to make a strong point. He's saying, look, drop what you're doing and make this your first priority to resolve your anger as quickly as possible. Because if not, it says that Satan himself will use that opportunity and take advantage to wreak havoc in our relationships. You see, Satan cannot do anything, anything to stop your to, he can't do anything against your salvation. Okay? He cannot ruin your salvation. But what Satan can and will do is ruin your life. He will ruin your relationships. He will make your witness as a follower of Jesus completely ineffective by your anger. And I have seen this happen in the lives of others and in my own life as well too. So he's saying don't let that happen. So we have to choose to live this unoffended life, because the alternative leads to some really devastating consequences. Or Or to quote the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, we must choose to live out of our new life in Christ while letting go of the old self, which includes surrendering our right to be angry. And I want to talk to Christians here for a second. Now, if you are here and you wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower, first of all, this is the church for you. You belong here. We want you to come here and we want to walk alongside of you as you wrestle through your doubts and your questions and, you know, is the Bible true? Is Jesus who he says he is? All right, we, and I hope you take some practical applications from this and apply them to your life. For Christians, though, loving Jesus and letting our anger control us cannot coexist. I'll tell you why. We say, We love and we we want to follow Jesus. We want to be like Jesus, right? You hear it all the time. I love Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to follow him. What does that mean? Jesus says it so clearly. John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, obey my commandments. Loving Jesus means doing what he says. And why wouldn't you? If he literally created you and he, he died for your sins and came back from the dead and he is God, why would you not do what he tells you to do? Because it means he loves you and he's good and he knows what's best, right? So, then that asks this question. Well, what are Jesus' commandments? Jesus says this in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven 37 through 40. He gets asked that same question by the religious authorities. What is the greatest commandment? He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equal to it. Okay? Equal to it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus says, If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Okay, what are his commands? Love God, love others. Does your anger ever accomplish that? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Then love Jesus. By obeying him and move towards not letting your anger control you. Now, you might be saying in here, and I think this is a question. Okay, so you might be saying, so we're not supposed to get angry about like injustice and social issues and evil and murder and like all of these things in our world. Yes, you should get angry about that, but here's what I see more often than not people complaining and doing nothing. Here's what's easy about complaining and about getting on social media and saying, oh, this is wrong and I hate this and this shouldn't be. You know why? Because it's easy. What's hard is opening up your wallet and giving to an organization that's actually making it stop. It's so easy to rant about the things that are evil and wrong in our world and so much more difficult to get into the mess and give your resources and your time to actually make it stop. I'm far more impressed, and I think Jesus is too, by the ones who quietly use whatever they have to make that evil stop, not the ones who just get angry about it. So in order to practically do this, let me give you three alternatives to being controlled by your anger. The first one is to speak words of life, not death. We know that when anger controls us, right, we just start vomiting out words. And like they can, anger controls what we're saying, right? So let me ask you this. Do you need to walk away for a moment, take a nap, go do something else before you react? I mean, for me, I just wanna like go, I'm ready to argue. Do you need to step back and say, look, am I going to say something or say it in a way that is going to cause some permanent damage to this relationship? Or do you say things that you swore you would never say because you you don't take a moment to just say, hold on, i got to get a control of myself. I'm not going to let my anger control me. Paul says this, let everything you say, everything you say be what? Good and helpful. So your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Ask yourself this: Are my words good and helpful? Are my words being used to impart grace to those who hear them? This is the second part. Because if not, shut up and pray. And I know that sounds harsh, but you ever tell your kids, "Hey, if you don't have anything nice, don't anything nice to say. Don't say anything at all." Maybe we need to listen to that and to pray. And pray for who? We'll pray for that other person. What I have found is that when you're angry at somebody and you start to pray for them and not pray like, Lord, I hope they get stuck in traffic, like pray for blessings in their life, pray for reconciliation, pray, Jesus, help me to see this person the way you see this person, it becomes very difficult to stay angry at that person. And I know this to be true because there are people in my life, even recently, that I had to say, look, am I just going to keep being controlled by them, by my anger, am I going to pray and let God do something? And I've seen God not only change my heart, but the situation. Three, you got to pray for yourself. Because if you walk out of here saying, that was a good message, I'm going to change. I'm going to try harder. I'm not going to be angry. I'm going to do this thing right. You are setting yourself up for failure. If you don't bring Jesus into the equation, you will fail at this. I promise you. Here's why. Jesus, because I think a lot of times what we've done is we said, here's what the Bible says, here's what it means, how it applies to your life, now go do it. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So what he's saying is, look, if you stay connected with me, all right, you will produce much fruit. And one of those fruits of a righteous life is self-control. Only through the power of Jesus will you be able to change. Because you cannot change your heart. Only Jesus can. And what I found, and I'm going I'm to warn you, I've told people, like, don't pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience, God doesn't just, like, wave a magic wand now you're patient. No, he puts you in situations that require you to learn how to be patient. When I've prayed for God to work on the anger in my heart, what what I have found is that he uses people close to me to break my heart to realize that I've messed up. I had to pick my daughter up once from elementary school because she was sick. And as soon as I picked her up, I knew she wasn't sick. I knew it was like an emotional thing. And we were literally sitting at the picnic table behind the church, and she told me that she was afraid to come home because I always yell at her. Last year, I was yelling and my son, Mac, who was four at the time, goes, I'm tired of you yelling at me. And it broke my heart. And it made me realize, like, okay, my anger is controlling me and doing damage to other people. And you may not have kids like I do, but maybe it's other people. Maybe it's your friends, your coworkers, your family. And so as we close our time together, here's what I want to do. I want to speak to those who have been unfairly and unjustly hurt. Okay, because I don't want to admit, like, you may have been s- s- severely offended against or hurt physically, emotionally, uh, whatever it is. And you're walking around, you're angry. And and I would just want you to know that, one, I care. And I would never try to minimize that. Or I would never try to say that, oh, you got to, you know, what that person did, you just got to let it go. What, What I'm trying to say is because I care about you, I want you to forgive and let go of your anger. And I'm not saying that the other person deserves it because they probably don't. And I'm not asking you to feel good towards that person because your feelings are real and valid, valid, but I'm pleading with you for two reasons, all right? One, we have to understand that whatever the offense is that's been done to us, it pales in comparison to the offenses that we have committed against God through our sins. Our offenses against God were so great that Jesus gave his life to pay for it, to cover it. And so we stand here as followers of Jesus, completely forgiven for everything wrong that we've ever done for, against anybody, against God, right? So then what ground do could we possibly stand on to say, I'm not extending that same forgiveness to someone else, right? Isn't that true? We want mercy for ourselves and justice for others, but that's not the gospel, And the second reason I want you to forgive is so you can be free. Because your resentment is only hurting you, not the other person. You may be in here this morning, maybe you had an awesome weekend, mowed the yard, put down some mulch, just spent some time as a family, living your life, right? And there may be somebody out there who just hates you. They just are resentful, they're bitter. You don't even know. You don't even care. Who's the one suffering? That person. Maybe you're in here and you are just harboring hatred or bitterness or anger towards somebody and they may just be living their life. So who's it hurting? You. I love this quote. It says, Resentment is like taking poison waiting for the other person to die. So it's no wonder that Paul ends Ephesians 4 with these life-changing words, Instead, forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We don't forgive others because they deserve it. We forgive others because we didn't deserve it. Once we realize that Christ died to forgive everything, and I mean everything, we can begin to process, we can begin the process to forgive even the worst in others. Because life, honestly, is too short to be angry and offended all the time. And when you do it, when you let other people make you angry or situations, you're giving them control over you. I got to ask, like, are you tired? Are you tired of just being mad about everything? You know, our anger really often does come out in those closest to us. So I have to ask you, do your friends and family fear you when your anger gets loose? Is that who, you're, is that who we want to be? Is that who you want to be? You know, would your life be better? Would the lives of those around you be better? Because my kids, my family, my friends, they still struggle to tell me when they've messed up because They're conditioned to me responding in anger. and So I plead with you, don't have to stand in my shoes someday and try to fix that. Let me pray for us. Jesus, again, I plead with you that this message would not just be something that we agree with and we connect with and we're committed to change, God, because self-help is not the answer. But God, I pray that we would genuinely repent from these things lord turn back to you and plead for your help and that jesus through your spirit that you would change us that we would walk out of here and represent you rep- to walk out of here as christians being known not for the things that anger and offend us but god being known for our love and our forgiveness and our grace towards others because jesus that's what you modeled to us we thank you in your name amen